Hi everyone, I'm Matt Blair, and this is the Conservation Storytelling Podcast. Welcome to the shared platform where we have conversations with a diverse range of field-based voices and talk conservation. Join us as we share ideas, create awareness, and fulfill curiosity about conservation in Africa. Hi there, everyone, and welcome back to the Conservation Storytelling Podcast. It has been a long, long time. It's so good to have you back here, and it's so good to be back in front of the microphone. It has been tricky to get myself to sit down and start recording for a while. And so much has been going on over the last few months that with the stockpile of these conversations sitting on the hard drives, I thought the best way to do this was just to dive in, start tackling them, and start getting them out. So over the next few episodes, we'll spend a bit of time at the beginning of each episode catching up on some of the ongoings that happened since we last spoke, which was when we were crossing the border to come into Zambia to join the Wokluwangwa 2020 expedition. This conversation today is one of those conversations that we were very fortunate to have with one of the amazing individuals that joined us on this walk. There were many and there are many conversations but they range from recordings where we sat on the edge of the Luangwa River with our feet in the water to days when it was so hot we sat under these Kigilia trees and had these chats and a big big thank you to all those that joined us along the walk and for those who were willing and happy to share their story with us. So today I'm diving straight into the collection of conversations that we had on the walk and this is actually from day 12, and I think we approximately 200 kilometers into the 350-kilometer walk. And this was with Tandiwe Mweta, who is from the Zambian Carnival Program, who shares with us her first almost comical introduction to wildlife in Mfui, and how much of an impact and influence the conservation club Chibimbele had on her from a very young age. She also shares with us her journey to becoming a project manager and the impact of why snaring on carnivores and the disconnect with the communities who are setting them. It has been an insightful conversation and I really look forward to sharing this with you. So without too much more waffle from my side, we will catch up. It's great to be back. Here's the conversation. Hope you enjoy. It's day 12 and we are 200 and something, we've kind of lost count how many kilometers into the walk, but we've come down into the free sector of the park now. Um, we've stopped for a break under a beautiful Kigelia tree and I'm sitting here with Tendiwa Mweta um, from ZCP. It's lovely to have you with us and thanks for joining us for the walk Tendiwa. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, so far so good. It's been much nicer than I expected. <laughs> <laughs> I think you chose a beautiful day. We had a lovely, cool morning to start with. Yeah. And we managed to clock a lot of kilometers in early on. Nice. I think today, resting here, we're on about 17 and a half kilometers. Oh, nice. My feet are taking strain. Yeah, mine too. Um, but yeah, it's nothing like I expected. I expected to be like halfway, maybe 10k mark and be like, e, need, need rescue, but yeah. No, you've done incredibly well. 
<laughs> both you and Henry have done incredibly well. We're yeah. very proud. I'm very, very happy that you could join us. Mm. It's really great to have you here. Yeah, I'm really happy too. It's not something I do every day. So. Uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, we'll get into your every day at some point in the conversation. Mm. But if you could just give us a little bit of a rough background as to who you are and where you're from. Mm -hmm. And how do you fit into this? One second. Ooh. That's fine. What have you seen there? Cindy was just picked up a binoculars. Oh. Looking across it's just the grass that looked like maybe a lion laying down. You look at too many it's, lions. It's uh, but yeah, no, that's, <laughs> it's just stuff in the distance. Okay. But yeah, just a brief summary. Um, I was born in Southern Province, in Monze, but spent a good amount of my childhood in Mazabuka. So it's a little town surrounded by cane fields and different farms. Um, so I lived there up to the time I was 12 and I moved here to come and uh, live with my uncle after both my parents uh, passed away. So I went to the local school at Yosefe and then finished my grade 12 in Chipata. And then from there um, I went on to study biology related courses all the way up to um, the, ma the master's level. That's pretty incredible. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. there was a distinct turning point for you at some point in your schooling career where you started to adopt a more nature-based interest. Mm. Where was that and when did that come in? Yeah, so going back a little bit, I think I've always wanted to do like outdoor-related stuff. So my very first um, job that I thought, okay, I could do this, when I was, I think, like eight or something, was to be an agric extension officer. So these are just people that went riding on these big motorbikes. They were big by my height standard. They would ride around in different places, talking to people how to grow crops and livestock and all that. So I was like, I could, I could do that. But the turning point, as you say, was when I moved here and then got to live really close with wildlife and just see all these different um, cool animals that I just heard about in mostly stories and then seen on TV. That was that was quite um, quite a significant turning point. Do you remember your first encounter with wildlife? My first encounter with wildlife was when um, I just arrived in Mfue and then the next morning just woke up it was mango season and these baboons would come into the village for you know their daily mango breakfast so the first animal i saw was a baboon and i was really excited and my cousins were just looking at me like why why what's what's so special but it was quite nice oh wonderful mm. so baboons introduced you to well, basically the world of um, wildlife. Mm. And Tindiwe, last night during our conversations, you you spoke about the Chipimbele Club. Mm -hmm. How much of a significant role has that played for you in your development, in your career? Massive, massive really, because the interest in wildlife had kind of been there from like stories from my mother. She was from here, but she grew up in so many different places but she still had a deep connection to the area. So she'd talk about it non-stop, you know, like with exaggeration a lot of the time. Um, but 
So those, those sorts of stories were quite key. And then there was TV and then books. But the Chipembele Club um, or Conservation Club, as we called it at the time, was quite instrumental in opening my eyes to all these other issues that were affecting this fascinating wildlife I was really interested in. So the club would go, would take us to the Chipembele Center that Stephen and Anna Tolan run right on the banks of the Luangwa. Um, would go to this center, would have an amazing day learning all these different facts because, you know, it's interesting to learn about, you know, how many sets of teeth an elephant has throughout its lifetime, that sort of thing, how, what's the source of the Luangwa. Um, but then you also learn about the impact of worse near poaching, the impact of deforestation. And that was where the connection really came in. I wanted to work with wildlife, but then through learning about the problems, I could be like, okay, this is an, a sector maybe I can contribute to. So oh, yeah, wonderful. it was really instrumental. Wonderful. Mm. I remember you mentioning something about having to write essays to be able to get onto, <laughs> onto the trips. Yeah. Tell me about your first experience in missing. You, did you get onto the trip or did you write the essay for, for someone else? Yeah, so Steve and Nana came to um, Yosefe Basic, which is a school I went to, and they're like, oh, we've, we've opened this center and we, um, we're, we'll be running trips there and we want people to actually write essays so they can kind of end their sport on the trip. So I wrote two essays, one for my sister and one for me. It was about, write about your favorite animal and why, that sort of thing. So I, I wrote two essays. I can't remember. I think one of them was a leopard. I can't remember the other animal, but basically my sister's essay won and so she got picked. Um, but anyway, I, I, I got many chances after that to go to the center and it, all, it was always a highlight of all our club activity. No, oh, wonderful. Mm. Well, I mean, from those early days, you're now the project manager for the Luangwa <laughs> sector of the Zambian Carnival program. Yeah. How do you feel, when you look back in hindsight and retrospect, Eish. how does it make you feel? I, I couldn't have imagined it. So like my plan from right around maybe grade eight and nine was to be um, a wildlife vet. So, you know, I could treat you know, all these animals that are injured by snares and, and things like that. So I didn't imagine like myself going down this path. So from grade eight all the way through second year of university, I was, you know, my mind was set on training to become a wildlife vet. But yeah, I'm, I'm quite happy, you know, where I've ended up. Um, I'm really fortunate to be able to work here. It's really close to home. Um, it's a place that, you know, both my mother and my uncle, who was like a second parent to me, it was a place that they loved very much. And yeah, I'm, I'm really, really happy and grateful for where I ended up. Yeah, sure. Mm. I mean, we're sitting pretty much bang in the middle of your your playground now. Yeah, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're sitting at the Wafwa and it's really much, um, it's very much a cornerstone really of this whole area there's so much activity here year-round end of the dry season spectacular lion sightings because they just come and camp here and wait for buffaloes to come and drink sure so um i love this place a lot what is the likelihood of us stumbling across one of the prides this afternoon <laughs>
<laughs> what are the chances? Yeah. Um, I, I, can't, I can't predict really, but there's a lion pride that we uh, put a sad collar on a few weeks ago, just on the other side of this little woodland. So it is the stomping ground, <laughs> but they kind of somewhere else today. Okay, we'll tread lightly and hope that you're checking that collar on your phone okay. every now and then. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and going into the carnival program now, mm. there's a few aspects to the carnival program that um, are not only about carnivals, but mm -hmm. about connectivity, the mm. science, um, mm. and the community aspects. Behind, I think there's about three pillars or something that ZCV stands on. Mm -hmm. Would you mind elaborating about that a little bit for us yeah. and talk about the greater objective around ZCP? Yeah. So obviously, um, the mission is to work on carnival conservation as well as, you know, the landscapes and the ecosystems that, you know, these uh, same carnivals traverse. Um, but the approach is, you know, multiple, has multiple facets. The first one being the science-based stuff, we need to have um, data about all the different populations that are in these areas where we work. We need to understand what are the threats and limiting factors that these animals are facing um, and then have that data available for the management agencies to kind of, um, you know, formulate management decisions from them. But in addition to the science part, we also have two different um, approaches that we take, the second one being conservation action. So this is informed directly by the science. We work on the threats that we identify as affecting the, um, the populations that we work on. Um, for dogs and lions, wire snares uh, across the board um, a serious threat and so we work with partners Department of National Parks, Conservation South Luangwa and different other groups to address that particular threat. And then we also work on community sensitization around um, wire snare poaching and, the, and highlighting the impact of that. Because, you know, it's quite, it's quite interesting, really. A lot of people don't understand or make the link between a snare set for a puku and, you know, lion mortality or wild dog mortality. So that conservation part is quite key. Um, and then linked with that more recently, we've also started to do um, human-wildlife conflict work because this is something that's popping up more and more, especially here. We're lucky, you know, it's bad in certain places, but it's not at that level where, you know, lions are actually getting hunted for retaliation because of livestock conflict. So we're starting to work on that with different partners. Um, and then the third approach is, you know, building sustainability within the project for conservation of these areas and the species itself by um, investing into young people that are conservation minded. So that part of the work started mostly here but we've been um, quite fortunate to be able to expand it to our Liwa areas in Kafue as well. So, yeah, through those three approaches, obviously, we're going to evolve over the years, you know, but we hope that we'll create a brighter future for uh, carnivores in Zambia. Sure. 
I think one one of the impressive things that I've taken away from what I've learned chatting to you and Henry about just in the last few hours, it hasn't even mm. been 24 hours yet, mm. um, is more the landscape approach to mm-hmm. to conservation rather than just focusing on the species. We're using the species as a keystone mm-hmm. indicator to create a landscape conservation. Yeah, because landscape really is kind of what it's all about. You can protect a species in one area, but if there's nowhere to go and traverse after that, it's, it, it becomes a bit uh, pointless. So it's really important to always have that bigger picture view and always be thinking about how do we keep connectivity between protected areas. Because from the animals that we've studied, we've seen for sure that this protected area network that we have, especially in eastern Zambia, it's quite, quite, really, really important for migration and dispersal and, and, and that sort of thing. Okay, so I think that's quite a good segue into what I want to chat to you now about, which is um, more your, your support for community con- community-based conservation. Mm-hmm. Um, t- can you tell us some of the effective ways that you've managed to to integrate local communities into wildlife conservation, mm. and but in particular, increasing the representation of women in the field. Mm. So with uh, community-based conservation, I think it's a work in progress. It's something that you kind of have to adapt and evolve as time goes, because as you know, communities and societies everywhere are highly dynamic, yeah? So they'll change on a regular basis. Things that were the norm maybe five years ago might not be the norm this year. So you know, we're trying different methods. We're trying through, um, you know, citizen science. We're trying through like just general outreach to try and get people to understand and make the link between, for example, domestic dog disease and wild dog populations and wild snare poaching with survival and persistence of long-term stable packs of dogs, for example. And then more recently, we're looking into coexistence um, type projects with human, human-lion conflict, for example. So it's, um, you know, it's something that we're continually trying to adapt and evolve as the landscape presents itself. Um, and then with regards to increasing the representation of women, that's something that's really close to my heart just because you know you need diversity in any sort of setting you have different viewpoints you have a different set of solutions you can explore if you've got a mix of people within your team so um, in 2016 was when we started the current program here and just started bringing on interns so they could test this sort of work out Um, you know it's something that people look at as being in, out of reach, as they've never been in this sort of environment. It looks like something they can't really do. So the first year that we did it, it was more about opportunities to just get people out here and say day by day, this is what goes on. This is a field that is open to you and you can, um, you know, progress should you so wish. And it's, it's worked quite well. Um, you know, we've now expanded it to different sites um, and then we've also morphed it to be more short term as well. So we were starting it looking at longer term um, 
you know, with a long-term goal of people eventually joining the ZCP team. But we're also now just expanding it to university students that just are in their third year of study or first year, but this provides them an opportunity to kind of get out there and, you know, get a feel for what they'll be doing later. And these are people that will, you know, join different organizations or they go on to become ecologists within the department. So our impact we feel is much, is much greater that year, that way, sorry. And this year, you know, before COVID, we had like great plans to, you know, take the program to different universities in Zambia. Because, um, you know, it's currently an exciting time uh, for the longest time, the two schools that would offer environmental-based courses were the University of Zambia and the Copper Belt University. But then there's like five or six universities countrywide that are now doing uh, nature-based courses. And so we're going to open it up and reach out to all those schools. But yeah, it's on pause at the moment to we'll see. At least the plans are there though. Yes. And I mean, they are going to happen eventually yeah. <laughs> once all this sort of starts lifting. Yeah. Do you find there's been much progression towards breaking the stigma that women, that conservation is more a man's world and not a woman's world? I, I think it's still there, um, but slowly, slowly, uh, you know, people are, are, are getting a bit more confident because I remember like the first time I got my internship with ZCP, um, I went and told my uncle at the time, like, oh, okay, this is what's going to happen. He was concerned about two things. Number one was, like, you know, are you going to come back home? Is it safe for you? He didn't really understand what it is I was going to be doing. And then he was also concerned about, like, you know, the attire, what are you going to wear? So there's still those barriers. Parents are not confident to let their children get out there. But I think it's also a matter of seeing women in those spaces and then getting comfortable with that notion. I, I think it'll, it'll change. Which leads me on to one of those new programs that have started the Women mm. in Conservation. The Women in Conservation that you are a mentor mm. of. Tell me what the plan is with that and do you, how do you see this facilitating the growth of Women in Conservation? Mm. So this was a program that was started by um, Wildlife Crime Prevention. So they run a, a conservation careers fair annually. They've done it for the past two years. I think I think they were going to do it this year again, but I'm not sure. But the way that program will fit in um, really well with you know the work that we do here is all about you know giving opportunities to people, not just you know not necessarily like getting out here but just being able to be there for somebody to talk to and then, you know, open them up to whatever possibilities might exist in the field. So it will, I, I'm really excited. Um, it's for initially for six months. It's pretty open-ended in terms of, you know, how long does the relationship last? Does it six, the six month mark and then you're done? Or do you keep in touch after that? and what shape or form does that take? Um, but yeah, so it's it's quite nice. I think they're also trialing the program, um, and then we'll adapt as you know the situations play out. Mm. And I think that's that's really key in general. It's good to have you know that sort of openness. 
I think it's a great initiative and mm. I mean even if it is still finding its feet it is something that mm -hmm. is there that people can have confidence in that you know to say well Mm -hmm. You know, when I am at a crossroads, I can go to someone mm -hmm. or somewhere and, you know, get a little bit of guidance. Yeah. Um, Tandi, we're just going to move on to a quote that was taken from um, an interview you did recently where you talk about searching for solutions that could be more inclusive and interdis interdisciplinary mm. and innovative. Do you have any anything to add on or anything mm. that you can pick up from, from there? Yeah, I mean, conservation practice in general, you know, hasn't changed much in a lot of places. Um, what it brings to mind is, you know, this whole concept of mission drift. Oh, what, what's the other word people, people use? mission drift or mission shift or something okay. and yeah. people speak about it as if it's a bad thing in a very negative light you know you start out doing one thing and then you move on and so I, I think of it as you know it's it's really an opportunity for growth um, we live in a very dynamic world we can't be doing the same things we've done for years in the name of staying true to the mission. You know, you move and adapt and change as things present themselves. And in terms of um, multidisciplinary, multidisciplinary approach, when we think of conservation, we look at it usually either through two lenses, one being a biologist out in the bush studying or a a, a ranger with a gun and boots going to arrest poachers mm. but there's a lot of things in between that could contribute to conservation there's economists that need to be in there there's storytellers like yourselves that need to be thrown in the mix there's development workers planners and all those sorts of things so we need to change i think over time what comes to mind when we speak about conservation it, and and i think that shift is happening already but you know, there's still there's, there's there's still like you know that two 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 sided view to it. Just either biologists doing science or people arresting poachers. But you know, there's all these mm -hmm. different um, people that can be in the mix to make conservation effective and efficient. And in terms of just it being more inclusive. Solutions could, you know, lie from, could come up from anywhere. And so the more diverse viewpoints you have, the more likely you are to come to a solution that works for everybody. Because as a biologist, for example, I have a certain view to say, okay, this is what could work for dogs, for example, science, and this is what could work for livestock predation to be reduced in such and such a village. But there's people that may have tried the solution that I'm thinking and they found that it doesn't work, but I'll push forward with my view if I don't open it up to, you know, as many viewpoints as possible. So it's, um, it, it, it is a lot of work just because the field itself is incredibly, incredibly complex. Yeah. And it's, um, yeah. No, it is. We, 
I mean, through the many conversations, we, we've definitely identified that a conservation is a business that needs mm-hmm. to run, but it is extremely complex. Mm-hmm. But I think more so in what you're saying with it being more inclusive, there's it's a lot more accessible to everyone to play a part and mm-hmm. play a role in now. It's not set to just the researchers and the biologists, as mm. you mentioned, mm. but everyone can play a role in mm. some form or manner. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Take us through, you recently, so this is quite a, a good kudos feather in your cap, but your mm. National Geographic Emerging Explorer Award. Yeah. How, how did that come about and t- take us through the experience? Um, so that is mostly through like a nomination yeah. basis. So somebody puts names up um, and then they put together a bio and all these things. And I was quite lucky to have been selected together with uh, well, in a group of 13 people from all over the place. Really incredible, really incredible team. And what that meant was, you know, you get a week, I think, in D.C. with, you know, that same team and you get to meet everybody. Then, you know, you get walked around through the National Geographic headquarters. You learn different, different things on storytelling, grant writing, just media in general. Um, it, was, it was quite a great experience, I think, um, more so from just the network you get afterwards and just you meet all these different people in a similar situation that you're in so it's people they can be working in the ocean for example they can be working on manatees somewhere or sharks and whatever but there's just so many themes that are common to all of you wherever you work and so being in that space with a group of people like that and finding kindred spirits as you as you as you'd call it um was quite was was quite amazing amazing experience yeah. well, congratulations on that that was for your oh, line research you. um, yeah yeah and, and, and some other work yeah fantastic mm. so Tandiwe, what we've been doing is i've been chatting to everyone we've talked to talked to we we bring the conversation back to what the Luangwa Valley means to mm. to people and you know what it's done for their lives. Mm-hmm. And I stumbled across your blog. Yeah. Kwasuku Malambo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can you tell oh. us the meaning of that? And essentially, oh I think this leads back to what the Luangwa Valley means to you, yeah. but especially in terms of what it means and maybe a little bit of the idea behind it and what your hope is for... Yeah. It's a blog that I wish I could post more often on and I was looking at it just recently I'm like I need to update. But Kwasku Malambo basically means it's it just how do I translate it? I think it means like the valley my home or you know, something like that loosely. It, it's it's a phrase that we valley people use quite often when we're away from here. So if I was to Lus- I was in Lusaka or I went somewhere, it's very common among many of us to start every sentence with Kwasukumalambo so and so and so. So it's it, it, I think it speaks to like the deep connection that we have 
with this area. It's something you can be so far away, um, but you still constantly think of where it is that you came from. So the blog itself was meant to initially, it was just, the, it's just a place I just post pictures that I find interesting, but it's really to highlight and celebrate this whole, this whole area. Wonderful. So what does, so what does it mean to you? I mean, it, it's, it's hard to put it, you know, in words, but it's what the valley means to me is so much more than just like a place I can live and work. So I, I moved here during a really difficult time in my life. I just lost um, both parents. My family was pretty much ripped apart because some of my siblings were here. Then my other siblings were, you know, back in Mazabuka. Then I was in a new place, really strange. I moved from like, you know, having a TV and electricity to no, 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 no power. You have to walk a good distance to get water. You have to cook on an open fire. So it was a really huge shock. And I, and I think what helped me kind of get over that was being in this place itself, you know, the wildlife and the really cool things I'd never experienced before, um, you know, had a huge impact and helped me stay on track. Like I could have gone in so many different directions. So it, it, it's almost like um, like an entity, not just a place, but like a being or a spirit in some way, kind of like guiding me through that transition. So it's, it's um, yeah, it, it, it means a lot. And being able to work here, help conservation in some shape or form, um, feels like I'm paying back somebody that really helped me a lot at some point in my life. So it's, yeah, it's, it's tough to explain in a really short sentence. I think you did really well. It's yeah. wonderful. And thank you very much for being so so honest and sharing that with us. Yeah. Daniela, I'm going to end the conversation there. Thank you so much mm. for for joining me mm. and for sharing your story with us mm. and continue the great work that you're doing. Mm. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a really good chat. Guys, as always, it's been great to have you here and it's really great to be back in front of the microphone and starting to share these stories with you once again. Thank you for listening. And if you want to support the channel in any way, please visit our Patreon page. You can find all the links in the descriptions below. And, you know, continue listening and I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Cheers for now.